0: Well, hello, People's Church family. If you would turn to Romans chapter 6 as we continue our study there together. Romans chapter 6 this morning. Paul begins, What shall we say then? Are we to c- continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, they were getting along fine without me. In my first year of university, I paid a visit to my old high school. I walked the halls. I checked in at the office as a visitor, I stopped by my old locker. It was a trip down memory lane for sure, but apparently the high school was doing just fine without me. I suddenly was a nobody who didn't fit in anymore. I never went back there again, because you can never really Go back, can you? They change, you change. The writer of scripture says, for everything there is a season, and for a time, for every matter under heaven. You know, there is within every family this impulse, this strong longing to go back. For the good old days is how we phrase it. Parents long for the time when their kids were young, when life seemed perhaps easier and regrets hadn't yet piled up. Children grow up and long for the time when responsibilities were few and life seemed so carefree. Grandparents long for the good old days when they walked to school through deep snow, uphill both ways, when cultures didn't seem quite so crazy, when people's behavior didn't seem so wild. There is a nostalgic longing for the times that are past. And yet the scripture says in the wisdom literature, these words, say not why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Don't say that your good old days were better. That's not a wise thing to say. You can read that in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10. That is that it's pointless to look back to good old days because you will find That such days never really existed. Sins still existed back then. Hardships and evils. And mankind wasn't any different. We've already seen in the book of Romans, all the way back to Adam, that there was sin and his sin brought death. And all have sinned and all die. The wisdom writer writes these words. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Now Paul is concerned that the Christian readers of his letter in the Roman churches may well want to go back to their sins. That some of them might long for a return to the freedom to live as they wanted, to do as they wanted, to the good old days. Of course, we Christians can make any sin even sound spiritual. It can sound good. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then, says Paul? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What he's saying is because God's grace, his favor, abounds more than our sin, might we not sin more to make his grace abound more? In this way of thinking, sin becomes a good thing. It becomes a means to blessing. The more I lie, the more grace God gives. The more I lust, the more grace God gives. The more I sin, the more grace rains down from glory. Am I not doing a service then by sinning? Short answer, no. (laughs) He says in verse 2, by no means. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We walk in in a, a new life, a new path. Continuing in sin is not an option for Christians. Going back to how we used to be is not an option. We are dead to it, he says. We don't live in it. We live in Christ. In verse 6, he says here, We know that our old self was crucified with him. That is Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Mm -hmm. The old self is dead and will not be resurrected. The new life we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the one that will be resurrected beyond death. He says in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, something in us died when we converted to Jesus Christ. Something in our fallen nature died. In verse 2, where Paul writes, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That pronoun, we, is a different pronoun that he chooses here. He chooses one that in the Greek, it means our essential nature. There's something about the very core of our being that died when we converted to Christ. Christ died for our sins and we enter into his death. And so we don't continue in sin. We don't live in it. We don't go back to the way we used to be. In verse 5 he says, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And verse 8. Now, He died once, but the benefit of his death is ongoing. It's eternal. It's perpetual. Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And what we used to be is dead in Christ. And now we are alive in him. And we don't go on in a life of sin we don't go back to our life of sin no matter how spiritual we may make it sound we don't go back to the way things used to be this is the consistent message of the word of god in the new testament for example in second peter peter writes these words if after they have escaped the defilements of the world to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. He says the last days become worse than the first. He'll say, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back, to go back, you see. He refers to the proverb The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. We're not to go back. Very graphic images, aren't they? Notice here in verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He says the passions become your master." You become a slave of your passions. You become a slave to your sins. It can go either way. He uses the word here in verse 13 as uh, the word instruments for unrighteousness. Our members, what he's using is a military metaphor. Actually, the word instrument means a spear. You can become a weapon, you see for unrighteousness or a weapon for righteousness. Most commentators believe he's alluding to to sexual immorality here and the damage and the destruction that can be brought down and inflicted on, on, on other people because of sexual vice. And we have a conscious decision to make every day, every moment. He says, don't Present your bodies. That's the, don't, don't lend your bodies all that you are, your human faculties, your body, your behavior, your character. Don't lend that to sin. Lend it to righteousness. Which will you serve? Will you serve unrighteousness or will you serve righteousness? Choose this day whom you will serve. This is working out our salvation daily. We don't serve sin as Christians. Verse 14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. We serve God. We've we've made that choice. We live in it. We walk in that daily. We enjoy his grace. We're not under law, he says. The law defines sin. Paul will say the law causes sin to increase because having defined it, then it's obvious it's against God. In fact, it's twice deadly because not only does the law make sin clearly rebellion against the will of God, but we're, we're unable to keep the law. And so it's twice deadly. But we don't go back to that. We don't go back to the Mosaic law. We have Christ. We're under grace, he says. It's the law of Christ that rules us. And it's the law of Christ that empowers us to say no to temptation. And we're empowered to to not sin. and, and, And we're able to defy the bondage of sin. And since we're not under the Mosaic law, but under grace... Someone might say sin doesn't matter. Look at what he says in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Again, short answer, no. He says by no means. <laughs> no means. And now Paul enters in for the rest of the chapter into an extended metaphor. Using the metaphor of slavery to depict the choice that we have every day, to follow sin or to follow the Lord. You know, slavery is not something um, common to our experience, is it, here in Canada? But it was a daily reality to the Romans. A large part of the capital city's uh, population what was slaves. They were slaves. The house churches, the five house churches in Rome, they would have included slave owners and those who were slaves in the congregation. He says in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms, that he's saying, I'm, I'm taking this metaphor here from, from the human experience of slavery. It's not a perfect metaphor, but it's helpful and useful to depict something spiritually that's going on. Paul began the book of Romans by identifying himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, he said. And now he presses the metaphor to an either-or reality. Are we slaves to sin or are we slaves to God it's going to be one or the other he says in verse 16 do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness you see hmm. it's going to be one or the other Sin or righteousness? Satan or God? There's no third option. It's going to be one of those two options. You know, modern Canadians have a hard time with the very concept of slavery. And our fellow Canadians would say that they are not slaves to anyone or anything. They would be quite offended, perhaps, even by the notion that they are slaves. And yet, they panic as they can't find their phone, even for a few minutes. (laughs) I'm not a slave, they say, as they desperately look for their phone. Or... We feel depressed if we haven't checked in on Facebook. I'm not a slave. Or we hourly check in on what Justin Bieber is up to. He has some 500 million slaves following him on Twitter. I'm not a slave. As we buy very expensive jeans with holes in them to look like our celebrities. I'm not a slave, as the things we own own us, taking our time, our money, and our attention. I'm not a slave. And as we stare at unending sports screens or game for 10 hours straight, I'm not a slave. Or as we spend or are addicted to spending, hoarding things, eating, drugs, nicotine, coffee even. I'm not a slave. We find that many things can be running our life all the time we think we're running it ourselves. And then there is our national anthem, isn't there? God, keep our land glorious and free. (laughs) We Canadians, we are free. I mean, it's in our national anthem. The very idea that I'm a slave is offensive, they might say. They reject God and call that freedom. In fact, many of our fellow Canadians, they believe that Christianity or God is there only to restrict their freedom. They want to be utterly free to do whatever they want, free to think whatever they want, free to live however they want. They'll call it pro-choice. They'll call it pro-freedom. And what they mean is nothing should hinder my desires. Nothing should stand in the way of my will. I chart my own course through life. I'm not a pilgrim on a Journey, I'm a tourist and I determine my own schedule as they immerse themselves in the basest impulses of the human race and they call it liberation, freedom. It is diabolic self deception. You and I. Well, we don't buy it for a second, do we? They're not free. They're in bondage. Their freedom never leads them to choose God, does it? Always leads away from God. Scripture tells us the truth, that they are enslaved to unrighteousness. They are enslaved to sin and to death. And they serve their master, their passions, and the God of this world, Satan. And so were we once as well in those old days. So were we in bondage to the lies that we tell ourselves. The sins that spread in our spirit. The plague of death is heavy on our fellow Canadians, and they call it freedom as they struggle under the yoke of their own passions. Freedom of choice, they'll call it, and they always will choose sin and death and every vile thing. They won't choose faith in God or virtue. And this is why, throughout chapter 6, Paul uses the imagery of slavery. And, and verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we should no longer be enslaved. To sin. You see, enslaved to sin. In verse 12, he'll say, Let not sin therefore reign. That idea of sin ruling the person. It will reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see, you are obedient to your master, your passions, and sin rules you, he's saying. And he says this again in verse 14 For sin will have no dominion over you. That's for those in Christ. But those who are not in Christ, it has dominion. It rules them. And they're obedient to sin. Verse 16 says that. They're obedient slaves. Obedient to sin. obedient to unrighteousness. I mean, if you're paying attention, you can see it you can see the devastation of sin in a person's life. They're everywhere to be seen. On street corners, uh, the dissipation, the drugs, the alcohol, the sexual immorality. It takes a toll on the flesh. And these sin-blasted lives Blasted marriages. Their very flesh becomes corrupted and diseased. And their addictions and their despair and their disregard for other people and their hard hearts and their repeated choices to sin. You've heard of the Navy ship captained by the proud admiral. He was free to sail wherever he wanted in his battleship. One foggy night, he radioed the the light ahead to steer clear. His battleship was coming through, but it didn't end well for him. The light he saw was the light of a lighthouse. His freedom saw him shipwrecked. Or the songbird free to leave her nest and to fly the skies, so free, wherever her wings could take her, free. She landed in the eagle's nest, and it didn't end well for her either, despite her freedom. Or the train that wanted to be free, He began to despise the tracks that he was on. And one day decided his freedom was the most important thing. And so he jumped the tracks. Only to find he was a wreck that couldn't go anywhere. And so it is with our nation of people. Under the sway of their personal freedoms. Blind to the slavery that they actually are under. their slavery to sin. Willingly putting on their own shackles. Willingly bearing their own backs for the burden of slavery. Obedient to their master who will take such a toll on them. Who will shipwreck them. Who will consume them. And who will make them a wreck. And yet there is another master. There is another master. One who loves. One who saves. One who cares. One who is ever so good. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thanks be to God, he says, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. (laughs) Slaves of righteousness. Slaves of obedience to God. Verse 20, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. That is, you didn't care about righteousness and what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed Says, don't you remember it's not the good old days it was those days were days of sin and 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 of barrenness there was no fruit on the branch of your life don't you remember that the end of that is death he says but now Verse 22, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. He says, now your master is God. And in him, things, the branches are, are, are full of fruit. <laughs> lasting, lasting fruit. Lasting for eternity, eternal life. We have a new master. Not our sins. Not our death. Not our passions. Not Satan. But the Lord. And what is produced in us by the Lord has lasting impact. Has meaning. Your life matters. It has meaning and and ends in life, eternal life. There's two masters, you see. One leads to eternal death and condemnation. The other, eternal life. One is separation from God. One is faith in God, and we will be with God forever. You want to talk about freedom. You who say you are free. You are in slavery to your sins. But there is a free gift for you if you will but receive it. Look at what he says in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. You will get paid out. If your master is sin, you'll be paid out. And your pay is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life through the one that the Father gave, to die for our sins, to bear our burden on that tree. And in him, we are set free from the rule and reign of sin and death. We are set free to righteousness and to serve our new master, our God. You know, his His burden is light. His yoke is not heavy. Uh, You need to receive. He says it's a gift. You need to receive a gift. You need to welcome his gift. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and humble yourself to do it and to admit your need for a Savior. You know, Jesus said these words about himself. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) What a master. It's one or the other. You're either going to serve Satan, sin, death, your passions, also serve God who loves you, gave a Savior for you, who died for you, and will lead you into good things. You know, Bob Dylan wrote a song that reflects Romans chapter 6. And in the song he Tries to include all men in all situations, all women in all situations. He says this you may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You might own guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. He says, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That's true. It's an either or. Who's your master? Who will you serve? Young people, some of you are leaving your nest. (laughs) You're growing up. Preparing perhaps to leave, go off to school one day. You're going to serve somebody. Is it going to be the devil or is it going to be the Lord? You're going to have ample opportunity to serve the devil. You will have ample opportunity to be mastered by your passions and your sin. Say no that you will serve the Lord at school and whatever city, whatever university or college you find yourself in, whatever workplace, you could settle it right now. Settle that question right now. I will serve the Lord. You know, there's no golden age in our past. There's no good old days We don't want to romanticize our past when we were slaves to sin. In our past, well, we were mastered by our sin. But now, we are free. Free when we serve the Lord. That's the paradox. When we become slaves to God, he becomes our master. We are, in fact, free. (laughs) His truth has set us free. And there's no going back. What would we go back to? And now every day is a good day. Every day is a golden day. Every day is a very good day. You're going to serve a master. Choose the Lord. Acknowledge that your master is the Lord. And you will have chosen well. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Would you pray with me? Father... Perhaps some listening have walked long in sin and death and serving that cruel master. But now they are deciding and they are humbling themselves. They are putting their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for the promise of new life a future and eternal life. Not death, but life. They're submitting to your call on them. And they purpose to follow Jesus. Tell him that yourself as you listen wherever this message finds you today. Pour out your heart to him. He loves you. and He cares for you. He is such a good master. He's provided a savior for you. Serve him. Follow him. And Father, as we who are Christians, who have settled this matter already, we pray that we would never be looking back over our shoulder to times long gone. Uh, That we never look back with nostalgia to those sinful days and sinful acts and deeds that we did but instead uh, to embrace the truth today uh, that we walk today in your spirit in your truth and in the salvation that you have gifted to us as we look ahead to eternal life we thank you and praise you for your word and we pray in Jesus name Amen.